Lord, we acknowledge just how much we need you. We acknowledge just how desperately we need you. So come. Lord, come, send your spirit to speak to us what only you can speak, which is truth and life. Come and do in us, individually and as a community, what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Good morning. I almost said you may be seated, and it hit me. You're already seated. <laughs> so, you get the regular guy. <laughs> you guys are having so much fun with joy. Well, too bad. Nah. Oh. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> so don't leave. <laughs> okay. Well, um, just a quick update. We will, I can see there's been movement in the room because it's a little hotter on, uh, uh, in this, uh, oh, on this side of the room. Uh, by next week, well, in the next, uh, between seven and ten days, we'll, we'll actually have our room. So, thank you very much for your faithfulness, your commitment, for believing in what God is doing here. And, you know, it's so much fun to say, I have, I have this week authorized my office. Anyway, so, if you make pledges, you probably got a text message. So, we'll keep reminding you, uh, so that we cover the deficits that we had to get to uh, from elsewhere to fill it up. Thank you so much for, for for showing that you believe in what God is doing here and what God is doing in this city through this church. It, it's been very encouraging for me. So, some of you might not know this, but this is our birthday, Mama. Ten years ago, yeah, ten years ago, Trinity opened the floors for the first time for, for gatherings. I say doors, and we've never actually had doors. <laughs> never had. <laughs> no, anyone can walk into anywhere. Look at Carolyn, just walk in. Hi, Carolyn. <laughs> so many years ago, we actually started having gatherings, and the journey has been nothing short of beautiful. You know, there have been so many tears of both joy and pain. We've said goodbye to lovely, lovely people. We've said hello to beautiful people. We've, we've, we've grieved certain losses and we've celebrated uh, the things God has done. People of all kinds have walked through the, uh, again, almost say door, we do not have door, you know, in and out of this community. At some point, we actually had encountered 11 different nationalities and as many tribes in Kenya as there are in one room. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Right? You know? It was God's gift to us to be part of, of, of touching the nations because if you've been here for even, just say, five years, you realize we, we're quite a transient community. Today you meet people, the next day they've moved to a different part of this country or a different part of this world. And God has allowed us to be part of all those stories. And I think that's beautiful. And from time to time, I ask myself, is anyone's life any different for having been part of this, this church? Oh, yes. Great. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> Great. I should, have, I should have written a pause into that part of the talk. Yeah. 
Not completely eternal. Anyway, I often ask myself, is anyone's life any different? Because it, it costs money, it costs time, it costs energy to do this. We'd rather not do this if it is not making a difference. So I often sit down. Sometimes I feel discouraged. I'm like, God, we're just another church. Other times I hear, oh, yes. And I go, oh, God, thank you because life's changing. I ask myself, would our city miss this church if, if we moved or closed our doors? <laughs> would our city miss this church? You know, Nakuru has so many churches, we don't need yet another one. So would our city miss this church if, if, if anything changed? And, and so we reflect on my own life and, and, and the story that I've heard from this place. And, and it's been so encouraging. We baptized leaders of, of, of two of the most dangerous gangs in the crew here in this church. That was so cool and risky. <laughs> we actually didn't do it on a Sunday. <laughs> Told them, please come on Wednesday when no one else can see. Like, you under the water. But it's true. <laughs> and, you know, we've been part of wonderful stories such as those. We have had big parties here where everybody was welcome. And, you know, I, I could see some of us going, wait, who are all those people? What if there's no food for me? But, you know, that was enough. We've had amazing parties of just eating together. We've seen people read from the morning. We've seen people get healed. And, and we've hosted poetry events for just art. I mean, we've We've done a lot of things, so it's given us the opportunity to do a lot of things. We've raised leaders, some of whom serve here. Some of the people that God is allowed to go through this place are not even in this city. I see them on Instagram, I'm like, please, just, just mention us, you know? Like, now you're in the limelight, just tell them that, that I know you, you know? <laughs> you know, we've seen businesses start for people who at some point felt hopeless and flourish. We've also seen some things close down and it's been heartbreaking. But the point is we've had a beautiful journey. I'll tell you one story today. I won't tell you the name because I never got the chance to ask for permission. And so I'll also just keep it very general. There's someone who's leaving our community that's really sad. But it's, it, it's not because you guys have not been nice. You, you've all tried. Uh, she's moving to Nairobi. And so she showed up on Friday. And I thought I was meeting someone for the first time. Turns out she's seen my dreadlock days. If, you, if you've seen me with dreadlocks, you've been here for at least three years. So, no, no, I, I knew you when you had dreadlocks. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. What's your name? Um, but she had come to just say, hey, I'm leaving, but I don't want to leave without saying this. You people have been a wonderful community. She said, she said to join and, and me, you guys are doing God's work. Because I came here broken and I needed a place to heal. And you've been a safe place for, for me and my community. And it moved me. See, as a pastor, I often don't hear great stories. People come to my office when things are burning. <laughs> and so sometimes I'm leaving the office and I see a person like, oh, no, not again. So it's always beautiful when I hear some of those stories. Because they remind me why we do this. And we'll share a lot of similar stories, even some of brokenness, because this is the story God is writing. And, and it is stories such as these that are an encouragement to me. And it's stories such as these that make me want to tell you all, congratulations. You're doing Goliath. 
I, I don't think I ever greeted, greeted this lady. It's you people. You a lot of people work. You learned people well. You you journeyed with people through highs and lows. You you've even clashed well, you know. Because I know certain fights that I know have happened here, and I still see all of you. So congratulations, do well. Now, but also for that's the last ten years. But I'm now inviting us to start looking at the next ten years. What do we want in the next ten years? What stories do we want to write? I personally want to invite you that let's not live a story that we can write. That's just too easy. If we live out a story you and I can write, that's just too easy. I don't, I'm not excited about by, by the, the thought of that. <laughs> what if we live out a story that only God can write? I, I just don't know what that would look like. I don't know if that means leaving or I don't know I, I just don't know what that looks like but what if we say God we want to live a story on you can write what if we ask God to light the fire in our hearts again that our hearts will not grow cold it's been a beautiful 10 years but let not the fire in our hearts go cold so God light the fire in us again light the fire in us again in the way we love people in the way we serve this city in the way we celebrate each other, in the way we grieve our losses, I want us to be marked by his presence and his love. I promise you, I hear stories from this church and I'm going, wait, that's here? When people walk in and they say, there's something I felt I could tell God within that room. Room, sorry, no room, you know, under the trees. Or, or, or you know, when, when people say, there's something about how I felt loved. And these are people, some of, some of us in the leadership team have never even met. So it's really you people, the body of Christ, the church. That's how you're living. <laughs> imagine. Imagine in this city and in your families and the places you work. You know the, the usual spill I do at the end of, of every Sunday morning. It's a serious thing. When I say go to the city, to your families and friends, to your workplaces and strangers on the streets. Now imagine those people turning away from their sin and beginning to follow Jesus. Imagine all that happening because of how you've lived. Imagine our garden spaces just being, being places where the power and the presence of God is poured out, just like we've experienced today and last Sunday and on Wednesday. Imagine our garden spaces because church is not a building. Church is you people. And when we gather together, imagine those spaces being filled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't stop here. That it pulls us into the city. Imagine experiencing the presence of God more than a Sunday thing. That's what I dream about for the next 10 years. Because that's what's going to change everything else. That's what's going to change how we do business. That's what's going to change how we are raising our kids. That's what is going to change the rest of life. And when Christ is lifted up, he will draw men and women to himself. I want to see a revival in this city in our time and death. Now, a little disclaimer. We do not determine when God pours out His Spirit in power. Okay? 
Uh, we do not determine the timetables of revival. So I'm not saying, okay, we have three and a half years to bring down revival. No, we do not determine the timetables of revival. I see different meetings around town, revival 2024, you know, and I just go, wow, how do they know? How do they know? This is the week God is sweeping through this city. How do you know? You know? And here's the thing. If everything is revival, then nothing is revival. If all our meetings, let's say we had meetings every, every month, they would call them revival, January. If everything is revival, then nothing is revival. But sometimes God pours out His Spirit and He moves in such power, spontaneously, and in so much power that, that it changes a generation. It marks a generation. Some of the people who, who are serving here, are still here because they encountered God in a powerful way here and it's changed them forever. They're not going anywhere. I remember when George started, I promised him to not mention his name, but you know, I didn't speak all of January. But anyway, you know, I, I remember when, when, when George had been serving and leading worship for a while and, and he resigned from a job he was doing in town and, and so, you know, Someone's got to eat and pay the bills. And, and he came to me and said, I've been offered a job in Nairobi, but I don't want to go because I love this church. I've encountered God here. And I want to see more of that. I want to hear more and more people say, I've encountered God. It's okay. They don't have to all stay. <laughs> that's, that's not the point of the story. But I want to see people encounter God and say, here in this place. Now, there are certain ingredients about revival, like the common revival. We can't determine the time because it's all about God. But there are certain things that are common about revivals. If you've heard the story of revivals in the church uh, for generations, and, and all of them, all of them, there's so many, uh, a couple of ingredients that I want to talk about a few the next couple of weeks, all of them have, have something to do with altars. Important altars, they turned back to God. There's a tiny around of our worship to God. Now, you see, I've just mentioned an interesting word, altars, and um, for people who, who come from a lot of church are just like, ooh, where are we going with this altar business? Let me, talk, let me just say what altars are. Altars are places set apart, which means holy. Altars are places set apart for worship and sacrifice. And usually in the Old Testament, they would, they would be raised. Why? <laughs> to set them apart from everything else. They would be raised and, 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 and then a, a sacrifice, uh, an animal or, or, or harvest or incense would be put on the altar and it would be set on fire. It was believed that, that the aroma from the burning of the sacrifice would please God. In the Old Testament, altars of built to mark places where God had met his people. Every time God would show up, they would build an altar. They would build altars to mark the places where God had made his name known. And Adam, they were saying, this, on this place, God met us. On this place, on this day, on this spot, God delivered us in a mighty way. So the 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 the, the, the they would look like normal places, but for them, it's no, no, no. I remember the day God delivered us, and therefore they would raise an altar, and that would be a place for the worship of God. 
And, you know, let's be honest, it's human behavior to mark important times and places. That's why we started by reminding ourselves that February, 10 years ago, Trinity started. Human beings are people, we, we, we're, we're creatures who like putting markers on important things. So that's partly what altars were. That's why, you know, uh, you celebrate your birthdays and some of you go into trouble in, on your last anniversary because you forgot <laughs> that important altar. That's why, you know, and if I created trouble for anyone by just reminding your, your spouse that it's your anniversary, I'm very sorry. You know, that's, that's why people go for photo shoots on their, on their, when they're graduating. They're saying, on this day, I was conferring the power to read because I've not been reading all my life. Really? We mark significant things. And sometimes we mark places and moments where God met us. Here, Trinity, my life changed. Just I remember the moment I said yes to, to serving as lead pastor, and I know how my life has changed because of that. I remember the moment in 2015 where in the presence of God, I, I just encountered God so powerfully, and I cried so close to one of 45 minutes, and I couldn't stop, and I didn't know what was happening, but I never knew that God was birthing something in me. And it was a, it was a passion, for the leadership of this church. Because only two years later, anyway, I don't, yeah. <laughs> we mark places where God has met us special. Now, if you know the story of scripture, you know that there are no altars in, in the Garden of Eden. There are no altars there. Why? Because they, there was such an open relationship between God and humanity. And so there was no need for altars. Altars, we, we see the first altar after humanity is kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Because what altars do is that they bridge the gap between the divine and, and human. It was the way of us saying, Lord God, we need you. And so his presence, sorry, his, uh, the fire on the altar represented the presence of God. And in that way, earth and heaven would meet. So that's uh, the other thing altars do. They, they bridge the the distance between they would bridge the distance between God and, and his people. So an altar plus a sacrifice plus God's presence equaled worship. And so they would build these altars for worship, cleansing, adoration, praise. Anytime they wanted to communicate to God any of these things, there would be an altar, there would be a sacrifice, and then there would be fire representing God's presence, and that was their worship. But it wasn't just God's people. All the nations around them also worshipped other gods and they would do it on altars. So it wasn't just God's people. And actually, Israel's biggest problem during this time is that some of them would begin to worship these other gods or these other altars. They would still take a goat, still take a dove or whatever and burn it on the altars of other gods. And God would say, no, you cannot do that. Sometimes... They would leave the altar of Yahweh desolate. Or sometimes they would even, even uh, worship other gods on the altars of Yahweh. And this, this was one of their biggest problems. You cannot worship any other god. What I'm trying to draw out here is worship. Worship is a human thing. It wasn't just an Israelite thing. It was what everybody was doing. Worship is a human thing. Okay, all that might sound old school, 
And some of us really have a hard time with the Old Testament. So you're wondering what day did I choose to show up in church? All that might sound old school, but is it really old school? If you if, if you're African or 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 uh, from from the East or you know Eastern culture or South American, this is not really very far from us. You know, sacrifices are things that are still done to this day. So many politicians, by 2027, they will be praying at a church on a Sunday morning and sacrificing somewhere on, on Sunday afternoon, two or four, right? It's the same stuff. Or, or if you come from the same people I come from, I can always think about my people because that's the culture I know. You know, you build a house, there's a sacrifice to be made. You you take down your house, there's a sacrifice to be made. You get mad at this, all these sacrifices. It's not necessarily old school. And if we are honest, some of us even today, when life hit hard, you didn't have a job for too long, you were sick for very long, your family from our country called you and said, and then you went, and they asked me now, there has to be a hen that is your wife. That was born between, <laughs> right? It's, this isn't strange. Why? It's, it's not old school. But, okay, so maybe that sounds really odd. And, you know, but it's happening even in church. I'm sure some of you have met people in, in the name of prayer warriors that have called you now. For God to heal this disease, you must bring 10,000 children. What do they say? Bring a sacrifice for God to meet you. It, it breaks my heart. I've had this conversation with a few people in this church who, because stuff was very heavy in their, in their life, they thought that God was not meeting them because they've not given certain sacrifices. And so they come to me and ask me, Pastor, tell me, how much money does it take? From who? I'm telling you, we could have built this roof very fast. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're here for the first time and my humor is terrible sometimes, please forgive me. I really don't mean that we would do that to build our You know? And the point I'm trying to make is that worship is a human thing. All worship, the question is what? The question is what? We all make sacrifices in worship. The question is to what? And if not all altars are seen, but so oh, the most important altars are not even seen. All of the places we exalt, any place you exalt what you worship and sacrifice to it is an altar. Place is so special to us that we lay down the most valuable things in our lives. You see, human beings all get to worship. The question is worship. And the biggest altar is our heart. Each of our hearts has an altar. The biggest worship, the the core of worship happens in our hearts. And there we exalt what we truly worship. And from there, all forms of sacrifices come. You know, Israelites leaving Yahweh to worship other gods didn't start by sacrificing to other gods. It started with their hearts turning away from God. I'm sure we look at some of the things happening around us. We go, I would never go that far. I would never desert God that much. But it doesn't start by that step. It starts by our hearts deserting God. Because the, the biggest altar of worship is our hearts. 
then God is after your heart. This is where it begins. We could act all nice because you see, the, the children of Israel, some of them even still worship at the altar of Yahweh, but their hearts are completely turned away. Scripture says, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are turned away from me. Sometimes they could act all nice on the outside, but hearts are turned away from, from God. And soon enough, so in the rest of our lives. Idols in our hearts, whatever we exalt in our hearts are idols. Whatever we exalt in our hearts are idols, and idols in our hearts take the altar of our hearts. We, could, we sometimes focus on the outward manifestation of righteousness. Or I could hear the whole church sing. You know, I know we're still moving and the screen is somewhere, someone, I went on the, to the wrong side of the church and someone was telling me, someone, someone, you know, God said, Ruth, what, guys, I'm the pastor of this church. Anyone just distract me, Paul, just a minute. But anyways, <laughs> and it was, it was incredible hearing voices raised up to heaven. And, and despite all our struggles with, with the visuals this morning, but you know what? Sometimes we're focused on outward manifestation of worship. We, we sing, we, 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 we come to church, we give our tithes and offerings, don't stop. And, you know, and so on and so on. But look at what God has to say about that. This is Isaiah 11 to 13. The multitude of your sacrifice, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of the burnt offerings, of rams and that of, of fattened animals. I, ha I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my horse, so bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Imagine God telling Trudy Vineyard, just silence that guitar. Don't do that whole community worship thing. I'm done. Don't pray. Don't even show up. I'm done. Imagine God saying that. Wait, what is the problem? The problem is the heart. Whoever is exalted at the, on the altar of our hearts is who we truly worship. And everything else is noise. Everything else is noise. And you see, as I've said here a couple of times, we become like what we worship. So a couple of weeks back, right before Christmas, we were talking about the name of God. And, 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 and I was saying that one of the things God was careful to show the Israelites is those other gods don't mean well. They are mean, they are violent, they don't care about you. And guess what? As the Israelites began to worship the other God, if you read the rest of that portion of Isaiah that I haven't read, they started acting the very same way these gods were acting. They did not care about the, the, the poor, they did not care about the orphan, they deserted the widow, they crushed the oppressed. Why they were becoming like what they worship? Soon what you worship will begin to spill out into how you live. So what is it you truly worship? That's the real question. Sort of about how loud we sing, how much time we give, how it's sort of about any of those external stuff. Soon what we truly worship will begin to spill over. Now, the reason this is important is because if we're going to see a move of God, it will start with a revolution in our heart. 
It will not sound the Greek roof, and I, I pray to God that it will be beautiful and cooler. It will not sound, start with better sound system, because Joseph from the worship team keeps telling me, we need new sound, like we are working in sound. You know, it will not start with all of that. We don't need to change our worship team. We don't need to change that. It will start with a revolution in our hearts. If we want to see renewal in our own life, if we want to see revival in this city, moves of God start with hearts turned back to God. One of the famous revivals was happened in Scotland in the Aberdeens, and it was so powerful. I, I told you, revivals change a whole generation. It's not, oh, our church had a revival. No, revivals change a whole generation. They impact the whole sin. And so there was a revival in the Aberdeens in Scotland, and some believers had been praying that for God to move, and they started meeting regularly, just going, God, we are hungry for you. We are hungry for you. And one day God came down in so much power, so many people are on the floor in worship, they, and some in trance overcome, in trances overcome by the power and the presence of God. And this kind of things continued. They would start a meeting and, you know, let's have a two-hour prayer meeting. And it would go on for days. No one wants to leave. Not because the pastor is funny. It's just because the presence of God is there and no one is leaving. In fact, in some of those meetings, the pastor would leave. So I, I gotta go. But people would stay on the power of, of the presence of God for days. One, one, one interesting thing happened. One of the pastors was called to a police station because hundreds of young people who had gone out to out the night before had turned out of the police station to confess and repent so that they get right with God. The police station didn't, don't show up there. But, he, he, but imagine that. A move of God so powerful that hundreds of people show up at a police station to say, I want to get it right with God. Yes. yes. <laughs> but this is how it started. As they were longing to see a breaking out of God's power. One deacon in, in one of the prayer meetings, one deacon came and read Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his home place? He was clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted their soul to an idol. And then he said, it is complete nonsense. He didn't use the word nonsense. It is complete nonsense for us to pray for God to move when our hearts are not pure and our hands are not clean. And so he lifted his hand and started praying, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And even before he could finish the prayer, he was on the ground. And boom, the, the, the room was filled with the power of God and everybody started bowing down in worship. We want to see a powerful move of God in our midst. It starts in our hearts, turning back to Him, pulling down every idol in our hearts. If you want to see your family turn around, if we long to see the city taken by the power of God, so that some of the things that are happening in our hospitals stop to happen. We've got, we've got to start returning our hearts to God. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart. Okay, what is the heart? Millennials have, have this running joke. You know, we're the heartbreak generation. <laughs> Everybody's getting their heart broken. Everybody gets a piece. <laughs> 
And so we're constantly reminded the heart is for pumping blood and not for cutting favor. <laughs> but anyway, so not the muscular organ. When we talk about that, when you say, oh, my heart is full or I felt in my heart, or when we read in scripture about the heart, what do we mean? The heart is the center of all your being. I'm talking about the center of all your being, the core of all where all things come from, the seat of all your emotion and, and, and desires. It's the core of who you truly are. The heart is where all things come from. Once it goes wrong in the heart, it's really wrong. Think about it this way. If you've ever loved someone with all your heart, there's nothing they could really do that is wrong. You know what I mean. I'm sure they would do wrong things. It's <laughs> just to talk to you about it. Okay. I mean, they will always look like angels to you, right? There's a, there's a sketch I saw a couple, maybe yesterday. This, this, this lady is, is, is with her partner who gets a phone call and runs out of the house very, very, very far to pick, to pick that call up. We all know why. And then he came back and she asked, why did you make it from outside? Oh, you see, phones have, have radioactive waves and they call cancer. And I know you don't have medical insurance. So I just ran away to protect you. And, and this, this lady goes, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> The heart, the heart wants what the heart wants, right? But also, when you dislike someone from the heart, there's nothing they can do that is right. Oh, they would cook the best ugali in Kenya and still for you. <laughs> That's partly why our politics are broken because no one wants to admit when the other person is right because oh, it's from the heart, that person. Right? <laughs> Everything starts from the heart. There's a proverb. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence. From, from, from it flow all streams of life. Everything else we see on the outside is an overflow of what's really inside us, including the hypocrisy we sometimes carry with us. And the duplicity of being able to live one life here and another one there, it doesn't bother us. It's starting from mid here. The heart is an altar where we worship whatever is exalted there. And you want to know what you truly worship? <laughs> Forget how loud you sang today. Forget how long your prayers can be. You want to know what you truly worship? Look at your budget and your schedule. Where are you spending? Okay, sounds like a chicken, but something else. Where are you spending your most valuable resources? That's what you truly worship. How have you organized your life? You see, sadly, some of us claim to worship God, and we hope we do, probably, but we are actually worshiping idols. Because we've organized our lives around everything else but God. So how have you organized your life? Look at just how you spend your day. Look at just how you spend your money. It'll tell you what you truly, truly worship. Dallas Willard said, a great part of the disaster of the contemporary life lies in the fact that it is organized around our human feelings and not around God. It doesn't make me happy. Yeah, well, you know, that, that famous line, oh, never make me happy. I'm just, I'm just, I just want to be happy. 
It tells you what we're looking for. It tells you what we truly worship. It tells you how we are organizing our lives. And the thing is, what you worship will swallow you whole. So either your life streams from God our Father or something else. What is it that is truly exalted in your heart? Do you want to know if you're worshiping an idol? Do you want to know if you've idolized something to a place where you're worshiping it? If you sin when you do not get it, or you sin in order to obtain it, it's become an idol. And sometimes they're all just struggling with this thing. No, if it's been there for three years, it's no longer a struggle. That's a strong word. Oh, I feel, no, I, and that, I didn't come up with that. I shall, yeah. But yeah, you know, like seriously. Sorry, guys. <laughs> It's, it's, it's now a stronghold. So what are some of the things our hearts to watch out for? Wicked hearts. Wicked hearts. Let's just search our hearts. And sometimes we forget that we could have wicked hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond sure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the man, the mind, to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. We have to admit that there is a part of us, which a couple of months ago I, 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 I called it the flesh. There's a part of us that is turned away from God. Let's stop pretending that everything is okay. Have you ever, you know, thought you really respected someone and they were doing great and then you heard of something about them and you're like, how could they? What do you mean, how could they? It's a human being with a wicked heart. Of course they could they. <laughs> Look at how many things we've tried to fix in the world with human laws and institutions. So after world after some of the world wars, we set up all these institutions to keep us from war. Do you know how many wars are going on in the world today? How can they not stand? Because the human heart is wicked. And, and we, can, we cannot create enough laws to keep the human heart from being wicked. It is beyond your a couple of days ago, um, Kenya was coming to grips with the reality of femicide in our country, and it is bad news. And there are marches across the country. Yet that's part, that's only one part of the conversation. We cannot march wickedness out of people's hearts. Let's really ask ourselves what is truly wrong, and the anchor is the heart of man and women is continually wicked and beyond cure. You know, I don't want anyone thinking, oh, we're, we're, we're going scot free. And only God can fix it. Any, any cosmetic fix won't work. Laws and, and, and barriers, all these things, any cosmetic fix won't work. Only God can really examine the heart. And we, we remain with wicked hearts every time we reject God. It's a fool who says in his heart, there's no God. I look at some of the things that are happening in our news and I just go, of course the only solution is God. But it might be very unpopular to be on a TV channel and say that. But I truly believe that of course the only solution is God. Another problem, divided hearts. Some of you one foot in, one foot out. Some of you worship God and other things. And scripture says, how long will you still balance between two opinions? Make up your mind. Sometimes it's evidence 
it's evident that, 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 that we want to be with God, but we also love the world and the things of the world, and we just don't want to let go of them yet. And so we're keeping some of it. A little bit of on the side, and you know, a little bit of the on the side. We're one, we're one foot in, one foot out. And here's the thing. What's, what, what Scripture says is, is, is friendship with the world is enmity with God. You can't do it. You cannot have a divided heart. This is how Jesus said it in Revelation 16. Jesus spoke about this. So this is what Jesus said. I, so I will spit you out of my mouth because you are, you are only warm. Sorry. You're only warm. Not hot. Not cold. Like it's even better. Just pick the other side if you want to. But you can't do both. Jesus says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I think the, the oddest thing to drink is warm water. Maybe just for me. The third thing, unbelieving hearts. These are hearts that have been turned away from God because of an issue in life. We let something come between us and God. Bitterness, pain, anger, new theology or new ideology. We just go, ah. Oh. And we slowly begin to turn our hearts away from God. We start unbelieving. Maybe God isn't real. Maybe God doesn't love him. Maybe God isn't really merciful. Maybe God just let unbelief stick in and, and sink its, its cause because you, you attended this, this, this training and they said these things about science. You're like, oh, maybe God isn't real. And you listen to this podcast. And I say that because I remember a time I was listening to this podcast, I was digging deep into the Bible and I almost lost my faith. I was like, whoa. What am I believing? Sometimes we let the issues of life eclipse God's goodness, God's kindness, and we start living in unbelief. Four, hardened hearts. When you know the truth and you just don't care. Have you ever tried having a conversation with someone who, who can see the truth and they don't want to? The conversation can't go anywhere. You're like, no, but this, this shouldn't be here. I didn't know. Oh, no, it could have been. Like, no, the conversation can't go anywhere. When someone knows the truth, and you can tell the moment they knew the truth. I, I remember having an email exchange when I was younger. I'm still fighting through it. I was a keyboard warrior. I, I preferred writing emails and making phone calls, especially when there's a fight. So there was a leadership brow with some friends and I tried to explain to them how things were heading and I remember just going at this point you also know that you do whatever you want because it doesn't go anywhere when someone and I may have been wrong okay uh, it doesn't go anywhere when someone knows the truth and some of us God is already pointing out what needs to go and you know it needs to go but you're pretending you don't know it needs to go you just harden your heart so today, if you hear God's heart, God's word, don't harden all. So the real question I'm asking is, what is the state of our hearts? Forget everything other people see, what is the true state of our hearts? And we look at Bible stories and go, oh, I would never, I would never. We look at them sacrificing goats and some of them, their children. And I would never take my child and sacrifice him or her to, to anything. Yet we do it all the time. Families have been broken, marriages lost, kids abandoned because we preferred something else. We preferred someone else. It tells you what you're worshiping. So what's real in your heart? Where are you spending your biggest resources? Some of the idols of our time as I'm slowly coming to an end. 
Money, sex, fame, power, acknowledgement and recognition, acceptance and approval, politics, ambition. They're just these different things that we will sell everything we are for them. But here's some good news. Hebrews 10, 16 to 18. This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. In Jesus, God fulfilled his promise. And, and Jesus made once a sacrifice that's once and for all. And so we don't need to slaughter any goats for cleansing. We don't need, we don't need to bring incense. We don't need to bring all that in order to be forgiven. We are already forgiven. We don't need to, 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 to beg and, and twist ourselves in different ways for God's presence to be given to us. He is always with us. So God's presence is with us. And our, and, and our forgiveness is guaranteed. Now, what I want us to remember is sacrifice is a way of life. It's no longer goats and sheep and all that stuff, but sacrifice is a way of life. You sacrifice something every day. So... I want you to remember this. Your heart's desire plus the sacrifice you make for it is worship. So are we going to start desiring God and make sacrifices for that desire because that is our worship? Oh, it's this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, Trinity Vineyard, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Sacrifice is still a way of life. Will we offer it to God? Will you organize your life around God? And this is not about moralism. This is not about oh, behave like this, behave like that. No, it's in view of God's mercy. God is already merciful and he has already spoken forgiveness over you. And so what else do you have to lose? You can just show up at his throne of grace to receive help. That's a difference. In view of God's mercy, that's the difference. There's a guy in the Bible called David, one of Israel's greatest kings. Jesus is called the son of David. Jesus is proud to associate with David in heaven and on earth. But this guy was a funny one. The man committed the glory, tried to power it out, and then murdered the husband of this woman. You know, David would not survive the Me Too movement. <laughs> David would not survive the march that we saw in the court. After all, let's be honest about what the Bible is honest about. Well, let's be honest about everybody. But that's a weird one. Anyway, and, 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 and then he, at some point, he got so proud, he numbered his fighting men to just say, look at what an army I have. Here is what is said of him. This is a man after God's own what's the point what, what is happening here David kept bringing his heart back to God in repentance this is the first place where we turn our life our, the altars of our hearts and our lives back to God repentance it wasn't that he was perfect it wasn't that he was morally uh, great nobody would tell their kids I know actually we tell our kids be like David but we don't tell them the whole story right then how David's why we say, be like David, except yeah, right? 
But David kept bringing his heart back to God in repentance. One, one of his biggest failures, this is what he wrote, a soul as he fasted and prayed for mercy. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David knew he wouldn't do it. And so he constantly repented, constantly brought back his, his heart to God, constantly confessed his sin. It starts with acknowledging our need for God and turning back to him. Revival always starts with repentance. Pardon me, Stan. Scaring back the band back on stage. All revival. All revival. And the renewal of your own life starts with repentance. And it's a problem when we pretend and hide sin in our heart because it has a way of eating us out. But when we confess, God has a way of healing us out. And so how to turn the altars of our hearts around is one, repentance and confession. God, I need you. It's not right with me. And then two, we start setting our lives apart. Keep your heart tender to God. Keep your heart tender to God. And then three, make a sacrifice. By that I mean order your life. Order all your life around God. If our, worship, uh, our prayer teams could also come. I want to read this over you. Psalm 139. Now, bless and read Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And Lord, if there is anything offensive in me, lead me in your ways everlasting.